WBEZ is supported by Chicago Humanities, presenting live events with historians Doris Kearns Goodwin and John Meacham, comedian Reggie Watts, and filmmaker Miranda July, and artists Hebrew Brantley and Amanda Williams in conversation. Plus, MSNBC chief correspondent Ali Velshi on small yet powerful acts of courage throughout history. Tickets for these events and more conversations on arts, culture, and current affairs at chicagohumanities.org. This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We're coming to you from the University of Illinois Chicago campus to kick off our forums with all nine candidates for Chicago mayor. We held a forum with five of the mayoral candidates, which you can also hear on our podcast feed. If you haven't listened to that, go check it out and then come back here for analysis. With us now to break down the conversation is WBEZ city government reporter Mariah Wolfel. Chip Mitchell, criminal justice reporter for WBEZ, and Jason DeSanto, a senior lecturer in the Northwestern University Pritzker School of Law and a Democratic debate strategist. Chip and Mariah, you both worked on a story that was laying out each candidate's plan to address crime in Chicago. Did everything that you heard from candidates today align with what we've been hearing throughout the campaign? Mariah, you first. Yeah, I think what we've been seeing is um, candidates talking about a two-pronged approach to public safety, and that's what they're going to do to address crime immediately, and that usually veers on policing strategies, boosting police... Boosting, boosting police recruitment and police officers on the street, and then also candidates talking about root causes of violence. I do th- addressing root causes of violence like investments, job opportunities in disadvantaged communities. And so I think you see kind of a split among which candidates are talking more about one or the other. And I do kind of think as the campaigns have ramped up as we get closer and closer to a February 28th election. People feel more pressure right now to talk about how they're going to make Chicagoans feel safe within their first, you know, day one, what they're going to do to address crime right now. And I think we've seen that um, grow as, as um, you know, one of the front runners, Paul Vallis, who's, who's emerged as a front runner and is running a tough on crime campaign. I think other candidates are pushing to try to convince voters how they, too, uh, will address crime in an yeah. immediate sense. Chip, anything new or much of the same on crime today? Yeah, I agree with with Mariah. Um, it, um, what, what one thing that caught my uh, ear this morning, you know, m- most of these candidates have also talked about in the short uh, as a short term, you know, sort of uh, uh, remedy to br- bring down some of these high murder numbers. They've talked about something that's uh, become known as community violence intervention. It's it's an emerging profession, actually, outreach by gang members to shooters and potential shooters. Um, and provide them jobs, therapy, social services, and so on. Even Paul Vallis, he, he's, the, he's the candidate that has the police union endorsement, and he's campaigned mainly on a law and order, uh, you know, making law and order promises, decrying crime. Even he today uh, voiced support for funding this sort of community violence intervention. Um, all but two of the nine candidates in this race have told us 
though, that they would, they, they would not shift dollars now spent on CPD's budget toward programs that address root causes of crime. One of those candidates was here today, State Representative Cam Buckner. I did not hear him playing up that, uh, that, that uh, position of his at all in the forum today. Your thoughts, Jason? Well, when it comes to crime, obviously, uh, Paul Vallis has had the most direct and clear messaging on this issue throughout the campaign. We heard more of that today, and it's kind of a leavened message. Part of it is what you would consider the more traditional law and order message, but there's a little piece of it that's always about keeping schools open so kids have something to do. And I take it that that's an appeal to white liberals as much as it is to people who are on the southwest side, northwest side wards. We heard more of that today. The only thing I thought was a little bit different today, having heard these candidates at a few debates now, was the mayor bringing up uh, the former head of the Chicago Fraternal Order of Police by name in a very pointed way, John Catanzara, within the debate. And I take it we're going to hear more about that in the next three weeks mm -hmm. and his support of Paul Vallis and Paul Vallis's relationship with him. Vallis kind of brushed it off. It's come up a few other times in debates. He brushed it off again today. The mayor didn't provide much context, so it wasn't much of an attack. But I gather uh, we may be hearing some ads on that shortly. Yeah. Well, Chip, we know crime's one of the biggest issues on, on voters' minds. Give us some context here, though. What exactly are Chicagoans thinking about? Well, we over the past month, WBEZ and the Sun-Times, um, we asked Chicagoans, our audiences of these two big news outlets, we asked them to send in questions what they wanted mayoral candidates to answer, and we got 1,700 responses, 1,700 people with various responses. By my count, about 55% raised questions about crime, and it, that was way ahead of any other issue, housing, education, um, it, what, you, you know, you, whatever it may be. Now, um, you know, this isn't surprising, I would say. Last year, Chicago had nearly 700 murders. Um, and it's not just murders. Robberies were up nearly a quarter last year from the previous year. And we had another year with 2,000 carjackings, Sasha. Yeah. Well, uh, the first question that uh, we asked candidates uh, was about their short-term plan to address crime. I asked them about the, you know, that first six months. So let's break this down. We're going to start with Alderwoman Sophia King. When it comes to public safety, the inequitable distribution of police across the city, that's been one of her biggest talking points. She always mentions having to bring more police officers to neighborhoods. Uh, in regards to her short-term plan, she calls on putting more officers in all communities immediately, starting from day one, and putting more money into violence prevention. Your immediate thoughts on that, Jason? Well... I think King has been a good debater all the way through. She's been really steady. She's been pretty sharp. Today's probably the sharpest I've seen her or heard her in one of these debates. And on that particular issue, what I was struck by was she went twice to attack the mayor, twice on $85 million that had come in and that only $5 million of that amount had gone out. And she took two runs at it. The mayor never said anything in reply. And what that tells me is that what King is really trying to do is occupy the ground that the mayor should be trying to occupy, which is a middle ground on crime between defunders and between somebody like Vallis, who has such strong police union support. That's the place where King is going. That's the place the mayor should be going. And one of the things I've heard time and time again from her in these forums is a recitation of numbers, a recitation of things that have been done, but not really framing that within a common-sense approach, pushing her opponents to the right and to the left and saying that she's the one on the ground having to deal with this every day and dealing with it aggressively. Without that context, I don't think those claims work. Mm. The numbers sound defensive. 
they don't really register with people. So I took King and her approach to really be the approach Lightfoot should have been taking in terms of positioning herself in the middle, pushing people to the right and to the left on crime, too weak and too strong. She has yet to do it in this race. And to me, that is a fundamental problem with a lot of her answers in these forums. Interesting, you're nodding, Mariah. This was the first time I had heard King really lay it out for voters in that way. And that, that was, I think, a, a smart strategy on her point. Because again, like Jason said, when you lay out the numbers, it can come off defensive. It, it might not stick in the same way. But King said, you know, she's recited the same line, we can have safety and justice. We can have police accountability and, you know, proper policing. We can reduce crime. And so she has really been trying to paint herself as a middle ground candidate. And I just never heard her lay it out so clearly in a debate before that you have defunders, you have tough on crime, I am where the people are, I am right in the middle. And yes, that is the space that Lightfoot has tried to occupy through her policies, I think, and through, you know, the way that she comments on certain things, but I don't think that she's been as successful as, as laying it out so clearly. Chip, a lot of the candidates' platforms, they've been to put more police on the street. Generally speaking, does that work? Has more police been a winning strategy? Well, that, that's an excellent question. This is a city where, uh, you know, we haven't had less than 400 murders in this city since the mid-60s. Um, uh, at the same time, we keep spending more and more on policing. We have, uh, I, I took a look at some FBI data um, of th nearly 300 cities reporting in 2020. Chicago had more police officers per capita than any of any other city except for Washington, D.C., um, and that, this is a trend that goes back decades. So, you know, whether whether it's effective or not is is a big open question. Um, I was talking with Northwestern University sociologist Andrew Papachristos the other day, and he's pointing out that the police actually can't really do much to prevent crime. All they can do is respond to crime. So, a lot of what of the policing that takes place when we put these these guys, all these, uh, you know, these deployments on the south and west side where violence is highest, they, 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 they do things like, you know, in the past it was stop and frisk. More recently, hundreds of thousands of traffic stops. They're, seize, they're seizing a lot of guns. They're bringing in a lot of guns this way. But the question is, does this um, actually turn the community, all this constant, what seems to community members often, like harassment, terrifying police stops even, does this turn the community against the police and actually make it harder for the police to do something that it is their role, uh, you know, uh, which is to solve crimes, bring in these shooters, get these shooters off the street? So th these are all uh, very important questions, and I think they're open questions. I want to talk a bit more about those crime stats and, and numbers that have been thrown around during these mayoral forums. According to a Chicago Police Department 2022 year-end report, Jason, Murders in 2022 were down 13% from the year before, which is what Mayor Lightfoot has been saying. If you do look at the report, which takes data from 2018 to 2022, though, there's been at least 500 murders a year. Chip kind of gave us that overview earlier. What are your thoughts when you hear the mayor say crime is down? This is a traditional challenge in political messaging, which is how do you mark progress? How do you get people to think about the nature of the problem today in a different way than maybe they were approaching it? And all the time, candidates, politicians, people in office are kind of trying to change the time frame by which we measure whether or not something has been a success. And that's what the mayor is trying to do. I think the challenge here is it is not really attuned to how people feel. 
And we have a lot of data. We have polling data. We have numbers about you know, metrics, about arrests, and a lot of things. But we also have news reports every day. And I'll just give you one anecdotal example. The mayor ran an ad a couple of weeks ago. I was sitting at home, ran an ad on behalf of her campaign and what she was doing and what she'd done in the first term. She ran it right before the news, which is the traditional time that people buy ads before and after the news. And the minute the ad was over, the first story on the news was about a murder. And that is a problem mm -hmm. when you're the mayor because you can, you can put ads together, you can talk a lot about what you've done, you can cite statistics that seem favorable, but when it's baked into people's psyches a little bit that things are not good and that things are not safe, you're fighting an uphill battle. And that goes back to what I was saying before. You've got to change how people think about what progress is, but you also have to think about who the other people are on the stage who are saying they can solve the problem. And if you don't put yourself in some political spectrum through your answers that give people an opportunity to understand actually you're doing a good job compared to these other people who would take a shot, when your wrong track number is 71%, which is what the polling today from BEZ indicates, yeah. you have a challenge. And it's not a, it's not a data challenge. It's an emotional challenge, an emotional persuasion. Candidates Sophia King, uh, Chewy Garcia, and Paul Vallis, they all have plans to fire CPD Superintendent David Brown. Why is that? What do they say is the problem with current leadership, Chip? Well, you know, we have uh, the aforementioned crime problem with, you know, murders, carjackings, uh, robberies. Uh, these things are either remaining at really high levels or they're actually increasing. Um, so I, I would say it's not very much of a surprise at all that all of Mayor Lifewood's challengers are promising to dump Superintendent Brown. Um, we've heard them say it a number of times. And, uh, you know, super, superintendents come and go. They, they go either when the, the, the uh, occupant of the mayor's office comes and go, or they go because of various scandals that come up from time to time. I think the average tenure is only about three to four years in that seat. Brown, uh, Superintendent David Brown, is already finishing his third year so. You know, I don't think it's too surprising what we're hearing on the campaign trail. So we are coming up to a break, but with the last minute here that we have, I, I do want to touch briefly on transportation, Mariah. Can you just give us some context about crime on public transportation? Sure. So um, crime on public transportation has decreased, um, you know, year over year from 2021 to 2022, but it is still high and more, almost more than double pre-pandemic levels. And this is crime um, against riders, or, you know, violence against riders, but also bus drivers and CTA operators who have complained throughout the pandemic that they don't feel safe to do their jobs, that they get attacked, harassed um, by, you know, riders. And so um, this is an issue for everyone, and that leads to staffing issues yeah. as well and leads to service and reliability issues. So it's and we'll, we'll dig more into this after a quick pause. We're talking with WBEZ reporters Mariah Wolfel and Chip Mitchell, as well as Jason DeSanto of Northwestern University's Pritzker School of Law. We're analyzing what we heard when five of the candidates for Chicago mayor joined us for a forum in the last hour. All right, let's continue with crime on public transportation. Another big concern for Chicagoans. But what do we think about the different approaches that the candidates had to ensure commuters' safety? So currently the, the city employs private security, for instance, for, for public transit platforms and for stations. Representative Buckner is vehemently against it. What do you make of his response, Chip? 
Well, there, there are pros and cons to private security. Um, it's, it's a heck of a lot cheaper. Uh, you get a lot of bodies in official-looking uniforms. Maybe there's a sense of security to riders without paying these officers the eighty dollars or $90,000 a year that you'd have to pay if they were police officers. Um, you don't take cops from neighborhoods where arguably they're needed to respond to gun violence, but um, with private security, of course, there's less accountability. You don't know who's supervising them. There's not any transparent discipline procedure. Um, if there are problems with a security officer, you, you might even have a hard time identifying that person's name. So, you know, there are pros and cons. I imagine that's where he's coming from. Yeah. Candidates, I mean, they, they seem split on this one. There are those who are opposed to more security officers, public or private, and then you have those who are for additional security officers on, on platforms and, and stations. Paul Vallis, for example, he wants to eliminate private security. He wants to put that money toward actually replacing them with Chicago police officers. He's also endorsed by the Chicago Police Union, as we know. So are we surprised by his stance, Mariah? Um, no, I think that falls in line with his uh, general strategy of boosting policing as a way of reducing crime and for some of the reasons that Chip pointed out, I'm sure, um, makes having police officers on public transit more attractive. I also think you see policies like Buckner's falling in line with his as well, um, with, his, you know, with his general um, politics as well, uh, you know, increasing security cameras on public transit, uh, having ambassadors on public transit to address mental health um, crises and kind of, you know, uh, get wraparound services for people who are having crises on on the transit line. So I think that that's not surprising. Um, yeah. Well, Jason, what more did you learn about Paul Ballas's position today? On that particular issue, I thought his answer on that issue was probably his best answer of the day. I thought there were some other places where I saw uh, Chuy Garcia in particular get under his skin. Remind uh, us what Vallis said. Um, this was a, an answer about the problems on public transit. It was less about outlining what it was he was going to do as much as it was describing the nature of the problem. And it resonated, I think, because it was totally logical. Um, it was, there, was number, there were numbers in there on the ridership being down, on people not wanting to come back, on the number of people who feel afraid to ride it, um, but also pretty measured in the delivery. It wasn't done in a threatening way. It was a kind of a by-the-facts approach. And I thought that was a, a fairly devastating answer. I actually thought the public transit answer told us a lot about each candidate mm. and their debating style and what they try to accomplish and do achieve here. If you think about Lightfoot for a minute, she does what we coach a lot of debaters to do. You sort of start at the beginning with what you're committed to. We need safety. No doubt about that. So you kind of start with the value, and then you say that's why we've done X, Y, Z. That's kind of a traditional debating, I would say a trope, but it's designed to hit the emotional component first. Here's what we're committed to, and then some of those details afterwards. Vallis's approach is just more in keeping with him. It's more about laying out how he sees the problem with some bullet point solutions. I thought Cam Buckner's answer to this was great in the sense that it connected with people. Mm -hmm. He just came in and said, I got ghosted this morning when he was talking about public transit. Right. right? Everybody identifies with that. And then he's talking about German shepherds. Nobody likes seeing German shepherds up, up on the L platform. I mean, that just resonates with people in a, in a different way. And I thought what Garcia did was he took this question and really pivoted it towards his overarching theme, which was collaboration and working with people. And I always think that the, the really good debaters, what separates the good ones from the great ones, and I'm not saying Garcia is great, but I think this is something that's really important, 
is not just answering that particular question, but taking it to a place where at the end of the whole debate, people know what you stand for. Yeah. How has Mayor Lightfoot approached this during her term? On, on this particular issue yeah. or on, well, I think one of the problems in these debates is I don't know what she stands for, hmm. having watched three or four of these debates. I'm going to say something against interest here as an attorney. I think she overlawyers these answers. I think these answers have too many numbers. I think they're too rushed. I don't think they provide an overarching vision of what it is she's trying to do. Think about her as a candidate in 2019 and think of her as a candidate now. I can tell you off the top of my head, in 2019, she was an outsider, she was groundbreaking, and she was for transparency. I haven't looked at one of those debates in a long time, but I can tell you that's what she stood for. And she was a really good debater on details. She backed all that stuff up. She didn't just use platitudes. This time around, I hear the number of police that have been hired. I hear we've worked with our federal partners. I hear a lot of details that are not stitched together into one story or one narrative about what this person's going to do and why they're doing it, who yeah. they are and what they stand for. And I think that's a, kind of an ongoing issue right now. So, Chip, back to, to talking about security here. Is there any evidence that adding more security or police presence, that that contributes to, to a drop in crime on public transit? Well, over and over last year, the, the police said, and, and the mayor's office, that they were adding officers to the, the L system. Um, CTA brought back the, the K-9 security teams, the dogs. Um, they added extra private security guards, as we've discussed. Um, they, CTA says about 300 security guards are now uh, scheduled to patrol every day. Um, I, what, I, I don't think we know whether uh, the, any good data about whether this security has made a big difference against crime or whether it's a matter of the economy recovering. Did you hear I, any evidence-based solutions from candidates today that stuck out to you at all? No, I, I didn't hear any. Uh, I heard a lot of promises, a lot of concerns, but I, I, I don't think that they talked about evidence-based solutions because I'm not sure that there is evidence, actually hard evidence, to, to back any solution. Yeah. What about you, Mariah? Um, I guess, well, to answer your question on what Lightfoot has done about this or says she's done about this on CTA trains, um, she points uh, back to, you know, this theory that uh, crime on the CTA has been a result of people jumping the fare box. And um, so she's, you know, touted her boosting canine units on the CTA um, at the fare boxes to try to deter people from jumping them. I don't know if that, I, I don't know where the data is on that or statistics that she, sh that she has or doesn't have that show um, whether people jumping fare boxes are the ones that are committing crime on the CTA. Um, but I do think that, you know, that's not a satisfying answer to many people. You know, I think when you think about um, transit accessibility, which is also a huge issue, mm -hmm. um, and, and you know, if you, if you want to, if you want to ding the people who are jumping the fare box to get a train ride to work or whatever, wherever it might be, um, it doesn't really land uh, well with some with some folks. But um, was there any candidate that, uh, besides the mayor, any candidate that you wanted to hear more from when it comes to ensuring safety on on public transportation? Um, no, that, I think that that was what I was going to say, is I would like to hear more from, from, the, from mayor, the mayor, uh, um, more specifically what she plans to do in her next four years as opposed to the canine units at fare boxes. Yeah. What about you, Jason? Anyone that you wanted to hear more from on, public, on, that, on, on that particular? On safety on public transit, yeah. Um, 
I mean, I suppose I, I would have liked something a little more specific from Chuy Garcia. He did a lot of touting and citing of his work on the Transportation Committee, but I, I think this answer was a little emblematic of some other ones. He was pretty good at ticking things off, but I had a hard time with those answers fastening on to anything that sounded immediately actionable and that was going to deliver something quickly. And that's kind of the, the counter approach to when you take an approach on answers where you're pivoting to a larger theme like collaboration, you get a lot of answers that then have details like we're going to work with them, we're going to work with them, mm -hmm. and maybe we don't have a takeaway in terms of that answer which is tangible, which resonates more logically, and which gives us kind of that feeling also of, oh yeah, that, that might work. Right. Something else that I felt was kind of vague, and not just in today's forum, but the ones of the past weeks, was just plans to improve CTA reliability, right? I mean, as we mentioned, Representative Buckner talked about the ghost buses, but did anyone today seem like they thoroughly answered that? No, it's a really <laughs> what complicated What a resounding problem. response. Wow, from the, the silence panel. was deafening. <laughs> it's a complicated I, I, response having to do with, with you know, with their technology on running these buses and the trains. Yeah, there's the technology component. I also think that as so many issues um, have gone back to again and again in these forums, people really just harp, harp, go back to crime and trying to improve crime on the CTA and saying that will improve ridership, which will improve the revenue that the CTA is getting from riders, which will be able, which will allow them to hire more mm -hmm. train operators. and. And so I, I don't know that that's a satisfying answer to people, um, but I think that that's like the general, you know, gist that we've heard from candidates yeah. on that. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We're live from the UIC campus with analysis of our forum last hour. Five candidates for mayor of Chicago outlined their plans on crime, education, and transportation. I spoke with Alderwoman Sophia King, State Representative Cam Buckner, former CPS CEO Paul Vallis, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, and Congressman Chewy Garcia. And tomorrow I will be talking with the four remaining candidates. Our panel today is helping us break down what we just heard. It's WBEZ's Mariah Wolfel and Chip Mitchell and Jason DeSanto from Northwestern. Uh, so thanks to Chicago residents who filled out WBEZ's People's Agenda survey, we got quite a few responses specifically about bike safety in the city. Vallis said that uh, we have to listen to bike safety advocates who have plans and ideas. He said that he would not just implement them, right? So is it really as simple as that, uh, Jason, listening to the folks doing the work? Well, if you don't have a, a clear vision on a particular issue, and I'm not saying that, that Vallis doesn't, I never think it's a bad idea in these forums to, to talk about some way of approaching a problem that gives people confidence in your leadership. Elections are so often about trust. And if you can convince people that maybe you don't know a lot about an issue, or maybe even if you're going to say you don't know a lot about an issue, but that the way you're going to approach it is a way that they're comfortable, you're doing something which I think is important in a debate. I, you know, we try to do three things in debates as, as coaches of candidates and on campaigns. We try to have them project authority and humanity, that they're strong and that they're warm, that we, and, because those are the foundations of trust. Right. people that were comfortable coming into our home and were comfortable with them solving the problem. Driving their message is number two, talking about those issues that are most important in the way that's most important. And then the third thing is really doing no harm, not saying something in a debate that's going to come back to haunt you later. Now, it's kind of a virtuous circle. The more that you're on your own message, the more you tend to project that you're both a likable person but also a competent one and you stay out of trouble. 
So if you get a, a question like Vallis did, I think to admit that maybe it's not your first forte, but to say you're willing to listen is a wise strategy in a debate. We heard Garcia doing the same thing, kind of pivoting to a way of approaching yeah. problems, which gets to this lingering question about the mayor and whether or not she can work with other people. So whether or not they can both do that in the end. Interesting. Right? The mayor has the scars because she has to do the work. And that's the hard thing with being an incumbent. But that's what Vallis is doing with a question like that, at least from my kind of political perspective. Yeah, Chip? Yeah, I thought Vallis' answer was quite interesting because he, admit, he admitted first that he doesn't know much about it, um, about even just protecting. How do, how do we keep this, like, these bicyclists safer um, you know, when they're getting doored and they're getting hit by moving vehicles and so on? Um, but then he went, he didn't, he didn't just promise to listen. He promised, the word he used was to prioritize what he called the comprehensive plans by cycling advocates. So I, I would think that that might be something that cycling advocates, if he were to win this election, would be able to come back to him and say, well, here's that comprehensive plan, Mayor Valdez. Right, right, right. Yeah, he said Time he would implement meeting. it. He said yeah. he would implement yes. it. Actually, right, yeah. right. Um, Mariah, sticking with biking safety for a moment here, it sounds like Alderwoman Sophia King would increase collaboration between CTA, PACE, and Metra uh, to secure more federal funding and focus on what she calls opportunity zones to, to build safe streets and incentivize development. Based on what she said about this plan before and then today during this forum, do you think that voters should have a good idea of the details of Sophia King's plan? Well, I think uh, we're talking about two different plans there, and her plan to collaborate more with Metra and PACE I think is along the lines of what we were just talking about, mm -hmm. and, and not necessarily as specific as she can get, but to say I'm going to sit down with stakeholders um, in a way that she doesn't believe the city is doing now so that we can have a seat at the table and have a more regional approach to getting public transit dollars from the federal government so you're not competing with PACE and you're not competing with Metra. Um, when you talk about the opportunity zones idea, that's a little bit broader, and that's Sophia King's idea for replacing Lightfoot's signature Invest Southwest program, which is a city-run program that uses public dollars to uh, incentivize private investments in 10 high-need areas. Sophia King wants to instead switch to use Opportunity Zones, which is a federal program um, where there are disadvantaged designated areas by the state in the city of Chicago, mostly on the south and west sides, where investors can choose to invest their money in Opportunity Zones um, and get tax incentives on those investments and then pull out investments within 10 years. And so that would be broader than transit. It, it would be, you know, overall neighborhood development. It's part of her plan for boosting enrollment in public yeah. schools. It's, it's, an, it's a broader, um, you know, equity strategy. And I want to, before I, I let you three go, I, I do want to touch on education, which we hadn't got a chance to in, in our analysis here. Um, we asked the mayor to explain how the CPS budget can be reconfigured to put more funds into the classroom. Um, and she responded by saying that Vallis's claims are not true, with 90% uh, of the money actually going into the classroom. So what have her budgets shown us about how her administration is prioritizing education and CPS's needs? Well, the conversation around CPS's budget, I think, has been dominated by whether 
CPS should, whether schools should be funded based on enrollment or whether they should be funded based on need. Currently, the city funds Chicago Public Schools based on enrollment. So the fewer students you have in a school, the less money you're getting in, and that makes it hard for lower enrolled schools to provide resources like art class or choir. And, you know, some would argue that that is a disinvestment in schools that need it the most. Mm -hmm. And so candidates like Paul Vallis would keep an enrollment-based formula. Um, Lightfoot would keep an enrollment-based formula. But then there are candidates like Cam Buckner, some of the candidates you'll hear from tomorrow, like Jamal Green, Brandon Johnson, who want to switch to a needs-based formula where schools are evaluated based on multiple different factors, including even um, the trauma that students have gone through, and that would help determine funding. Yeah, we'll leave it there for now. We've been talking with WBEZ reporters Mariah Wolfel and Chip Mitchell and Jason DeSanto, who's a senior lecturer in the Northwestern University Pritzker School of Law and a Democratic debate strategist. We're talking about what the five of the nine mayoral candidates had to say about key issues facing Chicagoans. Don't forget to vote, folks. Election day is February 28th. Mariah, Chip, and Jason, thank you so much. This episode of Reset was produced by Micah Yason and Brenda Ruiz, and it was edited by Andrew Merriweather. Be sure to catch our next forum this afternoon by subscribing to our podcast. We'll hear from the other four candidates and get more expert analysis on their responses. That's all for Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We'll talk to you this afternoon. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.